I'm going to talk about now, which is, I'm assuming this is when you're actually back at school for a period, but you were bullied. Yeah. The actual bullying part really was at home, not at home, but it was two girls, um, didn't live in the local street, but they were, they were a couple of streets away from where I lived. And they had wanted to be take me to a park. And it was only, I don't know, must have been eight months or something. Um, and um, so I'm starting to recover it. And my mum thought, you know what, just to give Samantha that little bit of normality. So they took me to... Um, Haywood and we got further and further but I was really tired and I was struggling with walking and they took me in this field and started hitting me hmm. and um, hitting me and I couldn't fight back hmm. um, I tried running and stones were thrown at me and um, I was so upset, and then I wet myself. Mm. Um, I couldn't believe that they, what they did to me, really. Yeah, yeah. Do you know? So many of the guests that come on the show were bullied when yeah. they were kids, and it went on to spur them on to do great things. Yeah, you know, because quite often. I used examples, Colin Unsworth, we call him Mr. Mushroom, he's been on Gardener's World, he's yeah. quite a well-known mushroom enthusiast, mm. and he was bullied, so he spent a lot of time in the woods yeah. as a kid and learned about mushrooms. Yeah. Sandy Hull, who's a multiple European Thai boxing champion, yeah. was bullied as a kid, he then turned that around and yeah. he's now helping other people and training children with self-defence and things. Yeah. So quite often, the greatest thing a human being can do is to... Take a negative, yeah, learn definitely. from it, and then find somebody else that's maybe going through that. Yes. And it can either spur them on or help somebody else by turning yeah. it into a positive. Yeah, so definitely. As terrible as what happened to you is, and, it, you know, we can't change it now, mm-hmm. it's probably fueled your fire to, to do a lot of the things you've done in life. You know, these experiences, what doesn't killers makes us stronger you know out of the darkness comes great strength and you've survived a terminal illness yeah you've gone on from that you become an author you have a training academy to help people with holistic therapies so maybe all of that wouldn't happen if those girls hadn't thrown those stones i think you're you're right you put it into uh, total perspective there i think that happening and um about at that time as well, I think people, because years ago, cancer wasn't as widely known about then. Yeah. People were very scared. Yeah. And children, you know, were more frightened to want to play with me. So I'd probably be the last person that they want to pick in, in a game or something yeah. like that. And this they went think, on. oh, can you catch it? And, yeah. And if you've got no her, they don't, you, you know, know, they're, they're frightened. So, yeah, and, there's yeah. so many things. And it's not their fault. Of course it's not. It's just the way. But to me as a child, you feel very much like, you know, as though you're not included. You know, they don't want you to be there. They don't want you to play with them. And, you know, as when time went on, um, 
and the herbal medicine was get you know and I was stronger and stronger um and there's a lovely friend who I'm very close with now Lynn but we've been friends from being little and no matter what she she always included me in everything again I was blessed of knowing Lynn I was blessed that she didn't judge me she didn't treat me differently where all the other children would you know, and that made a massive difference to me. And um, the home education, because I was having the home education, my parents didn't want to wrap me up in cotton wool. They still realised that, you know, I needed my friends. Um, so Lynn would sometimes stay overnight and um, sleep at my house. She would eat different foods to me, but she accepted that. So, so Lynn was instrumental in that way to me. My parents, with the educating, they were still struggling. They were still being forced, you know, this battle again. You know, Samantha's got to go in school. And it got to a point where my father needed um, some support from someone legally. And he... Andrea put him in in contact with a lovely man called Ivan, who's solicitor. And he'd been involved in education otherwise for other parents that were fighting the cause to educate right. their parents at home. So um, he was from in Birmingham, so we went there to see him. And he really helped my dad, really, then to fight the authorities. Because before that, he was fighting it on his own. And it was like fighting a losing battle. And he thought, I need this help. And he started to help my father legally. See, I'm just going to, sorry to interrupt you, Samantha, but yeah. do you really think, I'm, I'm trying to get my head around this because it, I, I find it staggering that if you go in school, there's a risk to your life, mm -hmm. but they're adamant you've got to go. Yeah. Now, you know, 20, 30 years on, mm. 40 years on, mm. Do you think it would be different now? I think we've evolved a little bit as a, a nation where if that situation's repeated and they know that your immune system's low, mm. you've recovered from radiotherapy, mm. leukaemia, and if you're going to school, your life's at risk. Yeah. Would they then now be reasonable about it? And I'd like to think the answer's yes now, and I think it's changed. I think these days, alternative medicines and complementary therapies are widely accepted more and a lot more people are realising the benefits of these fantastic treatments. But where I'm going is whether the authorities would still push you into a school knowing that you could, it's jeopardising your life because you're still in recovery from, mm, from yeah. the, we'll call it leukaemia, but yeah. it's actually the radiotherapy. <laughs> yeah, of course it is, definitely. To be honest, a lot, a lot more parents can homeschool now, so I yeah. think we'd have been... You know, in this era, I would have had the option more. Yeah. I, th I think parents now are more aware of the rights and won't be pushed, pushed around as much. But yeah. back then, you know, if you were a single mother, you were yeah. ostracised. You know, yeah. if, you, if you didn't toe the line in any way, people were frightened, weren't they? Absolutely. Of course they were mm. frightened. And, you know, in our local area, the, the streets, you know, they're the wacky parents then with the, you know... They're, they're, they're trying to, like, do these 
wacky, weird treatments, you know. Yeah. But these days, herbal medicine, you know, how many people around the world use these forms of mm. treatments for healthcare? Just, I'll tell you something. I did a show with a lady on here called Edwina Staniforth, and she's a medical herbalist, qualified, yeah. very well known, very well regarded, yeah. um, you know, from people that I know and in this, uh, in the Northwest. Yeah. And I had some shows pulled early on. I appealed them all. I've got them all overturned. Yeah. Right. That was one of the shows they pulled straight away. The algorithms pulled that, flagged it up straight away and pulled that show because it wasn't mainstream medicine. Since then, obviously, then what they do, they have a, a personal look at it. So if you appeal it, they have to look at it manually. Yeah. And they agreed and it was fine and I, yeah. I explained and it got overturned. But yeah. just because that lady uh, isn't mainstream medicine... Mm -hmm. And it's complementary yeah. medicine, holistic yeah. medicine as well. Uh, yeah. yeah, that got pulled. Not sure. You know, I find that crazy. Incredible. I didn't, there's certain things, I thought I'd sussed everything and I knew what was happening. Yeah. That was a surprise to me. Yeah. You know. And, you know, honestly, that isn't a surprise for me. Mm. And the only reason I'm, I'm saying that is because we had to fight the authorities. I mean, this went on from eight years old to the age of 16, where there was constant battles, where they were trying to get me um, put into school. I mean, at one point, I think I was aged 12, and this time, my father was going to be sent to prison. And Say that so, again. So this time, you know, they'd moved the goalposts the authorities, they were going to send my dad to prison. I was going to be made a water court. I was going to be sent to school and I wasn't going to be... I, it's under the control of them then. I wouldn't be able to have the herbal medicine. That was... I mean, I was like any 12-year-old child at this point, um, quite healthy. Um, they did try to send me back to school in, when I was 11 to high school and I picked up meningitis. Yeah. So that was it then. If I, my parents thought, look, you know... They thought I was, at that stage, I was ready, but unfortunately I wasn't. Three times they'd gone along with what they'd been told to do, mm -hmm. even though it was against the better judgment, and each time you came back and you ended up being ill yeah. because you'd either got an infection yeah. or your immune system's low, you're picking something up, and on this last occasion, meningitis. Yeah, so they just could not risk it. That was it. You know, my father said... Samantha's going to be educated at home. He contacted... My father had contacted as well. For me, it's... When I was ready for high school, he contacted Shiplake College. That was a boarding school for boys at the time that my father went to when he was a child. And, and he contacted them saying, look, you know, about my case, about how I'd become ill and I was being home tutored. And they were amazing. They sent all textbooks and all different for different lessons because these lessons were really structured um, each day for me, Monday to Friday. And um, they sent all the resources. They were amazing. Um, but... You know, even though the, the lessons were structured really well, you know, they weren't happy. And so this time my dad's my parents saying we can't send Samantha back to school. And they, they said, no, look, it's we're looking at a water court and you're being sent to prison. You're going to get a custodial sentence. 
So that's when my father contacted the local newspaper. The local newspaper got involved, and then I was on Good Morning Britain with my hand diamond. Weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, they highlight the case that you know my father was home educating me at home, and he was going to be sent to prison for believing in you know home tutoring and, and the herbal medicine. Um. So, because of the highlight. It's not a good story for the uh, medical authorities or yeah. the educational authorities. <clears throat> they um, decided to give my father a fine. Um, they weren't going to send him to prison. Um, they were going to um, put the case on hold. Um, and strangely enough, because of the press got involved, they, the, and that because of that, I'm a, they didn't send him to prison. The, there was kind of a little bit of pressure taken off my parents from the medical authorities and from the educational authorities. It's not good press, is it? Well, it puts them in a very bad light mm. because you can clearly see that your parents were put in an impossible situation. Yes. And in order not to go to prison, they have to risk your life. Yeah. And this is the th and and this was the, the crazy. They had no other choice. It was either going to prison and me going into care, mm. or um, trying to get help. And yeah. at that time, the media did help. Yeah, your parents were very smart people. I was blessed. It it was it, it very was, strong <sighs> people. Yeah. Yeah, I man. They were. I think. I mean, as parents, we all want to do everything for our children, and we all do, and we'll do everything we can for them. And, you know, my parents, like you say, in the um, teachers, you know, Parent Teacher Association, um, it was on the, the Board of Governors, my dad, at the primary school I was originally at. So they're very law-abiding people. But because of the situation they're in, unfortunately... It wasn't their choice to go against the system because they weren't going against the system. They were just believing in an, alter in an alternative form of treatment that was saving my life. Now, when I was... There, so they backed off a little bit, and by the age of 14, um, lo and behold, they offered a home tutor. So from the age of 14, Samantha, yeah. you have... You've been on telly. Yeah. And then the authorities eased off a little bit. Your father got a fine, not a custodial, which was yeah. threatened with. Yeah. And then you actually got a tutor provided at this point. Yes, I was 14. And the authorities agreed for me to have a home tutor um, for me to, you know, start having structured lessons with them. By that time, um, I was always already having structured lessons that my mum and dad had set up for me. So... When it comes to being educated, they really had set the home education up to such an extent that it was really working. And, uh, you know, I was doing lots of things like with maths and algebra and, you know, there's so many different, and with English and, and history and geography. So there's so much that I'd already, already learned. So my parents thought, well, at this stage, the home tutoring, the education that I was receiving was fine. You know, they didn't really need that intervention from a home tutor. And 
from the age of 14 to 16, thankfully, um, the medical authorities and the education authorities kind of backed off. The thing is, up till this point then, since the age of eight, yeah, passing through those formative years, you'd, mm. you'd missed lots of school, hadn't you? you yeah, you'd, that's you'd right. done what you could, but obviously yeah. being alive in your primary healthcare is number one. Education yeah, is number two. Yeah, of course. But they realised, they did realise as parents though, that I did need education and, you know, that was something that was really structured really well. Um, curriculum was set out, was amazing what, what they did. And with the help of my dad's old school, um, they helped to provide all the books and the resources. So I suppose on that journey, we were blessed again. We were, yeah. we were, we're just so lucky. It was, the people that we met and um, the, the coincidences of how my mum, like, had met, sorry, my dad had met Andrea and Ivan Gaffin and Mr. Abbott because my dad obviously used the herb, herbalist before I became ill. So we had a lot there just... Yeah. It was amazing, really. On this show, we don't believe in coincidences. We call it, obviously, synchronicity and yeah, alignment. Yeah, definitely. When you're following your dharma, when you're passionate about something, and when your heart's in the right place, yeah, and you're moving in that direction, the right people will appear. Yeah, definitely. You know. Definitely. And, and we, we, we were blessed um, with these people um, that we met. Um, we came to the age of 16. And had to go back. By then, it was yearly blood tests at the hospital. Now, I didn't have any leukemia from the age of 14 um, in my body. And so my 16th birthday came along and I had choices then. And the choices were that when I went to hospital, I had my last blood test. And my parents said to me, my dad said to me and my mum, now you're 16, Sam, you know, it's your choice whether you want to go back, continue going back to the hospital because you don't have to when you're age 16. Because my parents knew how anxious, even to the age of 16, I used to fret, terribly fret before I went for my blood test. This was days before. Mm. Um so I never, I'll never forget that. I went for my last blood test and the doctor, the specialist that I'd been, I'd been under right the way from the age of eight, um, said to me, right, you're doing really well. You know, we can't find any leukemia. You, you know, you're doing really well. We're so We've tried our best and we just can't find yeah, any. Yeah, yeah. And that, is, that's, yeah. And that, yeah. Well, to be honest, yeah, they, they probably were trying and trying and trying. But anyway, um, so he said, you know, We'll see you again in a year's time. And I knew in my heart and in my mind, I thought this is the last time I'll set foot in this hospital. Yeah. What's amazing is if you go back to being eight years old. Yeah. Being 16 with the rest of your life in front of you with choices. Yeah. This is it. You never thought you'd get there. Yeah. Or, or certainly most people didn't think you'd get yeah. there. And yet here you are. Yeah. You know? This is was my life now. This is the start of my journey on make them decisions for me. And I know it sounds terrible to say, but I was free. Yeah. I was free from the fear of the hospital. I was free from the fear of the authorities. Because even though my parents were going through that, I'm seeing all this go on, how it's affecting myself, how it's affecting my brother. You know, my brother through his teenage years, you know, he went through bullying himself in school. There was, and 
you know, so my brother really went through it because as well as my parents home educating me and and giving me the herbal treatment, even though my brother um, was going to school, my parents had to spend a lot of time like with the home education. So in some ways, my, my brother, he wasn't left out by any means and he was truly loved. But when you're having children, you spend all your divided attention on how many children you've got and give them the love. Well, Paul was given that love and he always was. But they couldn't give the time as much for Paul. So... Like it or not, he was along for the ride, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Mm. But he went through it as well because he's, I mean, I mean, at one point during our journey, at one point um, during that time when my father was being threatened to go to prison, there was, where my dad worked, there was um, an advertisement for a holiday to go to Dawlish. And my dad thought, right, okay. It's our way of escaping the authorities for a bit. So I never forget. So many days before the we went on holiday, there was a car that kept turning up on the street and um, pulled right next to our car, and it was stayed there for a number of hours for a few few days. And my parent, my mum went out, and she thought I'm a bit concerned. You know, it was a gentleman in the car. Yeah. So she went and she said, "Excuse me," she said, "Is you've been on this street for for a number of." days now she said I'm just you know a bit concerned who you are so they said they were looking for such a person on this our street and mum said we didn't know them and then the mini disappeared and didn't come back a couple of days later this was my parents escape to go on the run basically and they took us to Dawlish in this place where there was going to be hardly anyone there because it was out of season and hold I mean unbelievably so as we were like trying to get out Hayward quickly because my father didn't know whether, you know, when he was going to go to prison. So my father thought, let's get out of here. So um, this mini started following my parents out of Hayward. So it's like a bit of cat and mouse trying to, trying to get rid of this mini. This is before your dad went to the media, isn't it? This is before yeah, that happened. Yeah. So he's still at this point... There's, there's still a real risk of him going to prison. Yeah, but yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, it was kind of, you know, what do my parents do? You know, get to go to this place, um, which I, I mean, me and Paul thought it was a little holiday. Um, but actually, in fact, they were going on the run because if my father was going to get sent to prison. My father's there was, well, what's going to happen with Samantha? The authorities are going to get her. So, you know. With, this may be another option when we go on holiday. If I get come back and I've got to go to prison, well, if Kath has got Samantha and Paul trying to go into hiding somewhere, you know, it was. Well, <sighs> crazy I suppose when times. you're desperate, you've got to think of these options, haven't you? Yeah. You know, when you've nowhere left to turn. Yeah, and it, and it got to that point. It did get to that point. Um, and where so. Going back to um, when we come back, and obviously, um, father didn't, my dad didn't go to prison, and then we've talk, talked about the home, the home education. Um, I just wanted to mention a little bit about my brother, really, and how he, how he was affected by it all. So uh, you've left us with a cliffhanger there. You, you've 
gone away because you're sort of semi on the run. Yeah. And this car's following you. Yes, this car's following. And parents, which my dad was trying to speed up and go down streets. And this mini was trying to speed up. And um, they thought, we're in trouble here. You know, we're not going to get this escape. We're not going to get this escape. Somehow they knew, the authorities knew that Mathava and Mum were doing something because this minute was the same minute that was yeah. parked on the street. They were basically tailing you. Yeah, and that's what you, it was. You were a threat to pharmaceutical companies. <laughs> the yeah. fact that there was another way yeah. that what they were peddling maybe wasn't working and there was another way and they don't like it. No, that's no. it. And it's because... The treatment was working and I was still alive. And it's not a f treatment from these massive pharmaceutical companies. Like you said, they didn't like it. Yeah. And that's the tragedy, though, in all of this. What is more important, a person's life? Or it's about money? Yeah, well, you were an anomaly, a threat to the the structure, the mm. distribution and the profits made mm. from certain medical treatments and yeah. this saw you as a threat. Yeah. And we were treated, my parents were treated like criminals, you know, for what, I mean, deciding on an alternative treatment that was working. But they were... Honestly, they, were, they, were, they went through so much, so much emotionally because of what pressure they were under. They were frightened all the time, was going to be took into care. Um, they didn't know next what they were up to. So this was the last, this was, I mean, it, it got to the point where, you know, what else can be done? If I'm going to prison, I'm going to have somehow have to protect Sam, Kathy and... Paul, I've got to somehow do... While I'm in prison, who's going to be there for them? Yeah. Um, and we had an old, old viva at the time. And so it took uh, uh, quite some time for my dad to... Um, for the mini to, to lose the mini, this car that was chasing my dad. And we, somehow we got free and... Um, I never forget, my mum and dad were definitely quiet in the car as we were just, we were setting off on our journey. They'd be frightened. Yeah, and they were, they were petrified. Mm. And we went on this journey and we got to Newton Abbott in Devon and the Viva broke down, the car broke down. And it, we, 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 we pulled up outside this house well, it kind of, it, it pulled, it went the car and we didn't know what time, it was the gearbox. So anyway, my, pa, my dad pulled up and would you believe, my dad knocked on this door and they were the most loving couple you could ever meet. And it, I think things happen for a reason, don't yeah, they? Yeah. And they were amazing. They kept us warm and asked, did we want sandwiches and drinks? And they let my dad use the phone so my dad could phone his dad to pick us up. And... My, my, my granddad lived in Newton Abbott as well. Mm. So it was strange. So anyway, um, to cut a long story short, my, my, um, 
my granddad came and he picked us up and arranged to see whether a, you know a, a local garage could um, tow away the car and. The, the, this couple were saying, you know, we don't mind it being there at the moment. We, we can, we'll keep our eye on it. And they were, they were lovely. So yeah. the next thing, my granddad took us to this wonderful um, holiday park. It was great. Um, it, lo- it was a nice swimming pool. And there was a, a couple of other people there. And there was like a little clubhouse. And, you know, my parents couldn't say the reason why they were there. So... So other people, the, the only very, very few people that I had, they, we were just a little family coming away on a breakaway. Little did they know that my parents were on the run from the authorities. Yeah. Um, so we had some parents, and they, were, they even did um, rats to go up and do a Mr. and Mrs., you know, like yeah, competition. Yeah. So there's my d- mum and dad, like a normal family, which we were, but doing a Mr. and Mrs., but you've got the authorities probably searching high and low. Where have they yeah. gone? Yeah. Maybe tell us. Because we discussed this briefly. How did your brother then end up in a room with microphones? How does this fit in? The school had said that there was um, a place um, in the countryside that children of families that were experiencing difficulties, so such as someone's there, one of one of the siblings is poorer, that the other child could have this like breakaway. Yeah. So this, that is where I was getting confused. So that's not the trip you'd been on, Newton. No. Abbott. This is a, another. Yeah. 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 Um, what happened was um, my parents thought, do you know what? What a wonderful idea. This is time for Paul. You know, his time with other children, probably similar age. And they thought it was a, an amazing opportunity. Paul was looking forward to it. You know, mm. it was a breakaway. And... He'd gone down there and very quickly, um, my parents were contacted. Um, there must have been, there was, there was, there was a phone there by my brother who was extremely upset. And he basically went on to tell them that he'd been to this, brought to this place in the middle of nowhere, um, in the moors somewhere. And that there was documentation with the dress on that Paul had seen. So he kind of snuck, stuck it in his pocket and thought, I'm going to keep that. And he somehow he got to phone when the person, this guy that was there, and there was a guy, a woman, um, that were in this place where Paul had been taken to and there was no other children there. Yeah. There was just my brother and these people. And he said it was strange because there was microphones in there and he didn't understand it. And yeah. there was, he was like being, he, it, there was like, toys and like you know games that Paul could play with but he was like playing games with this woman and um having things to eat but then all of a sudden he was having times where he's being interviewed and, and, and talked to about well how was how did Paul feel about um his home life and how how was Samantha you know how was she being affected by everything and it was a ruse, wasn't it, basically? Yeah, mm. it, it, it was scary. I mean, yeah. you, you just can't, honestly, you just can't believe what was going on. And Paul had phoned up my dad and he was traumatised, traumatised. He was crying down the phone. And my, pa- my parents went into sheer panic. What, what is going on? Yeah. Um, and Paul gave them um, the address of this place. And um, my dad 
when my mum rushed down there. Um, they went there and they went to this place and they were met by um, this woman. Um, they said, look, we've come to pick house. So blah, blah, blah. Well, no, 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 you can't just turn up here like that. And my, my father said, we need to get our son and we need to get him now. He's been very traumatised. What has gone, you know, what's going on here? And um, this this was going on for about 20 minutes. And then this gentleman came out with our Paul, quite upset still. And um, my dad and mum raised concerns about what Paul had just said. And they said, well, listen, it's just unfortunate that other children just couldn't come on this yeah. weekend break. Um, you know, there's nothing like that. He's been here, he's been having food, we've been playing games. Look, you know, this particular lady that was playing different games with him. And my mum and dad just knew, just knew by Paul. He, he, was, he, was, he, was, he was so traumatised by it. Yeah. And they brought him away. The two people that had Paul said that, you know, we weren't allowed just to come and take him like that. Um, it'd been a planned weekend for him. Lot, lots of time had gone into plan this um, weekend break for Paul. Mm. But my parents weren't having any of it. I, I think by this point, then you're realising that as far as institutions and the schooling system and the medical system and everything, you, you can't trust anybody at this point. You know? And that's what stage it had got to. Yeah. You know, even just to, even a, such a thing as saying, well, look, a nice breakaway. In normal terms, if someone say, say someone's looking after someone that's poorly, um, say at the moment, and the carer, say the mum's... Um, is not well and it's just the mum and the child well the child would be offered these like mini breaks wouldn't they yeah as a carer's break but that wasn't anything like that and my parents trust i mean paul's their son like i have one son you know and to me i would be thinking if i'm going to trust anyone to look after my son you know it would be an environment like that with the school you're going to trust the education system surely so that's when when that happened with Paul, you know, who could they actually trust? Who could they turn to? It almost sounds like, you know, the men in black, like the CIA or the FBI and the tactics they use. And I definitely think that the motivation behind all of this is to do with the fact that you and your family were a thorn in the side and seen as a threat to the existing system, the schooling yeah. system, and yeah. to the medical system because, you know, you, you're you an anomaly. You survived a treatment that you weren't expected to. You yeah. recovered from a disease that you weren't expected to recover from. Yeah. And it was all done with medicines that they made no profit from. Exactly. And, it's some, and the thing is with herbal medicine is, you know, you're not suffering like the, the suffering that I went through and, and so many other people you know, we've gone through over the years and it's still being used today. You know, I'm here today and I'm perfectly healthy. You know, this was years ago that this happened to me, but they're still using chemotherapy and they're still looking at cures, but I was cured. So why after all these years... Are they not looking? Are they not looking mm. at alternative medicine as a form of safe treatment to treat different diseases and cancer being one of them. Because it's free and because they don't make money out of it. Yeah. 
I think that that's the answer. Yes. Yeah. We've yeah, discussed definitely. this uh, in our household, myself and Willow, my partner. Yeah. Uh, neither of us will ever have chemotherapy, ever. Yeah. For a number of reasons. One, the success rates, even if you go from those statistics, are infinitesimally small. Yeah. Yeah. Secondly, there is no proof at all that it extends your life. No, definitely not. Thirdly, quite often the consequences and side effects and things that happen from having radiotherapy are far worse than any disease. Absolutely. And then the time you do have left, mm. the time you do have left, there's no proof it extends that period of time. And you're guaranteed if you're going to have radiotherapy, you're going to be very ill for the time you have left. Yeah. You can maximise and live your life to the full with the time that you have left without the radiotherapy. You can still have some kind of quality of life yeah. and feel yeah. relatively healthy for a, yeah. a longer period. We went through all the pros and cons. If we both get diagnosed with cancer tomorrow, we'll accept the diagnosis, not yeah. the prognosis. Yeah. We'll try and live a happy, healthy life with diet, with laughter, with surrounding ourselves with people that love. And no way, shape or form, will radiotherapy ever be part of our lives. Yes. That's a decision we've already come. People say, well, how can you say that? You can't say that when you've not got cancer. Yes, I can. Yeah. Yes, course. I can. You've got a choice. Yeah, it's 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 up to me. Yeah, it is. It is this is it. It is your choice. Uh, uh, looking at the effects of the treatment and the damage it causes mm. alone, you know, it is understandable why you've chosen that decision. Uh, it's up, obviously it's up to any individual to choose what type of treatment they decide and type of lifestyle they live. And obviously I'm not here to say to people, you know, you do this thing, you decide on this medical intervention or this. That's not what I'm here for. It's about being honest and mm -hmm. telling the story. And and choice as well. I, I, I'm not telling anybody else what to do. Yeah. It's your choice. But yeah. I, I'm telling you what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very clear on that. Yeah. Prior to ever knowing I was going to do this show with you, yeah. this is a topic that we've discussed at length yeah. in our house. Yeah. yeah. And it's important that you do discuss something like that, you know, with your loved ones. Um, I mean, there's a lot more people now these days diagnosed with cancer than there was when I was a lot younger. Yeah. Well, um, I think stress levels are a massive part of triggering cancer. Yeah. You know, two people... And your, and your diet and other things. You can have two people that both smoke yeah. all their life. One yeah. will die at 40, have a heart attack. Yeah. One will live till 80, 90. Now, so the smoking, although it's a contributory factor and very bad for your health, that isn't what kills you. No. You know, there's other th factors at play. And I think the main one is stress. I say you can actually get away with drinking and smoking if you've got a happy mind and you're not yeah. stressed. Yeah. You can get away with quite a lot. Mm -hmm. You throw stress into that equation and you'll die pretty quick yeah. if you're having a very unhealthy lifestyle. Yeah. And if you had two twins and they both smoke and one dies young and one doesn't. So, yes, smoking is a massive part of that equation. Yes, yeah. smoking can be a, a, a huge contributing factor to cancer, but it, it's not on its own. No. If two people have different outcomes from the same diagnosis yeah. you've got to start questioning what are the factors involved and stress for me is one of the biggest killers yeah you know it is definitely so back to your point samantha saying yeah. that cancer 
is there's a lot more diagnosis of it now and it's more yes. prevalent now. I think that is to, a big part of that is to do with the lifestyles we lead. Yeah. Eating processed food. Absolutely. Being yes. plugged into televisions, computers, yes. mobile phones, emails, yes. texts, yes. all of these things and high levels of stress. Yeah. Those factors have all multiplied exponentially over the last 30 years. Yeah, they have. Hugely. And these are the things that are caught, you know, because of all of them factors. And this is why you've got so many people with the likes of having like disease like cancer and other diseases. Yeah. I mean, go back 30 years ago, nobody ever heard of, um, you know, bipolar, ADHD, a lot of these things. Now yeah. it's, it's rife. And I, yeah. I think it's to do with the life we lead. It is very much so, very much so. It's a it's this fast paced lifestyle. Like you mentioned, people um have got the phones now. So, you know, years ago, you know, there's a lot more people talking to each other. These days it's by text message or you're on Messenger or you're on Facebook and, and, and things like that, social media. Yeah. You know, comes into play. I think we emit a frequency, right? If you yeah. have a thought that thought is a frequency. Yeah. And with mobile phones, emails, f phone calls, texts, whatever. If you were an accountant 30 years ago, you might sit in an office, you'd have a phone, somebody might answer the phone for you, yeah. and you'd focus and concentrate on doing your accounts. Yeah. Now, you have a mobile phone. Yeah. And that phone's going to be beeping with answer machine messages, phone calls, text messages, yeah. and social media. You'll have a computer on. And... You're getting emails mm. and you're constantly getting interrupted all day. And I yeah. think that disruption in being able to concentrate, focus and emit that frequencies, I think that's really unhealthy. Absolutely. It is. You know, that's having such an impact on people's mental health, but also physically as yeah. well. And staring at screens, a lot of us wake up in the morning, look at our phone, maybe mm -hmm. look at the iPad, yeah. drive yeah. to work look at a computer screen yeah come home look at the phone look at the laptop switch the television on yeah and we could spend you know easily 10 hours a day looking at a screen of some kind yeah and i think again that's very very bad yeah it's not good it's not good for for, for your overall mental health by any means but also physically you know where's the exercise if you're going to be sat there for hours on end you know it's like children of today, you, a lot more of them have got the tablets and they're spending hours on, on these type of things or, or, or watching games or, or playing indoors a lot, should I say. But what about going out there? What about that rough and tumble of playing with each other, you know, with, with friends and the neighbours when I was younger, they, they'd be sat out on the um, on the wall chatting to each other. But but these days, you know, you, you'd be, I mean, I've lived on the same street for 17 years and I only know so many people. I don't know everyone on the street. And I'll always say good morning and hello. But a lot of people don't um, have that same... Some don't connect, connect at all. Connection with each other. Yeah. And, it, and it's a shame we've lost that. But I think it's the way um, technology is moving forward. Yeah. I think that is a massive destruction. Yeah, I think that... In theory, mobile phones and iPads, they thought would bring us all closer together. The reality is people were quite isolated yeah. and detached and not getting the human interaction and contact. From your notes, Samantha, which yeah. I thought was quite a beautiful thing, is that you put 
about how you felt when you were starting college. Yes. And what a beautiful place to be when, you know, definitely for a long time, you, you didn't know whether you're going to actually ever get there. Yeah. You know. I must admit, my journey into college was one of joy, one of wonder, one of... Uh, and I found I settled into college life very easily. Um, my parents and I went to see Holy Cross College. It was in Bury. Yeah. I went to. I went there for two years. And we went to see the principal. We made an appointment. And thankfully, the principal, Sister Mary Kelly at the time, um, she saw me. And my, my father explained about home education, things like that. Yeah. And she saw the best form of courses to do was called a CPVE, like a vocational course. So is this is this a sixth form college? Or yeah, this is, yeah, sixth form college in Berry, lovely college. And um, so I did this vocational course. So I was doing things like uh, maths, English, um, catering, art. So there's a big mix and it was brilliant. I met some amazing people and, you know, I was a 16-year-old girl and I was ready for you know, enjoying my life, you know, it was my time. That's the way I thought it. This is my time. Nothing, no one is going to tell me what to do. Um, um, I wasn't rebellious in every way, you know, but, you know, I was making the decisions. So uh, I did this course for a year and I loved it. And then I went and took my GCSEs um, at the same college the year after. And I settled into college life amazingly well. Went out on some fantastic nights out. How you do at that age, you know, like what well, yeah. one was at the seventeen. I was I went to a college disco, which was arranged by the college disco. But then when I was eighteen, I went out with friends and we go to the pubs. And I suppose you had a lot of making up to do. Yes, for partying. You know, I had lots of friends, and a few lads were asking me out, and I was like. I'm enjoying myself here. Yeah. You know, this is my fun time. How old were you when you met your hubby, Brian? I was 19. Right, okay. And did he sweep you off your feet? Well, I was at the Embassy Club, Bernard Mannings. How, <laughs> yes. Yeah, how it happened was I was working at the time at Index. Catalogs. Catalogs, yeah. Yeah, I remember. I yes. was working in the, like, in the stock office. Um, my brother and uh, worked... Index in another office at the time, but he, he, there was a works do going to Burning Mannings, and he said, "Oh, you've got to come Sam, it'll be fun." And I was like, "Gosh, I'd rather go out with my friends on a Saturday night out and go clubbing it." So I kind of reluctantly agreed to go. Which clubs did you go to, by the way? Oh, it was called Chamber House in Haywood. Yeah. I like to go there. Yeah. Um, Braces in Rochdale. Went there. A um, bit later on, Soho's, that was a local one in Haywood, but I loved it. So these aren't really rave clubs, these are piss pot clubs, aren't they? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, you are like right. There's no Haciendas or anything <laughs> no, like no. that, no, there was nothing like that. But, but yeah, I was like, oh, you know, I was here, there and everywhere, it was yeah. just life. And um, I've gone on a holiday when I was 18 with my, one of my close friends who became really close friends with called Sharon, who I'm really close friends with today as well. We met, me and Sharon met when I was about 15 um, in our local street because she lived in the next street to me and we became good friends, her and her other friend, Alison, who became good friends with it. So we went on this holiday to Cavos, you know, mm. party, like still yeah. party area now. So we went and we had two weeks of party and it was just brilliant. 
Um, but going back to this um, with Brian, I said to my brother, right, okay, I'll go. So I went, but I encouraged Sharon to go. I thought, I'm not going on my own. With, you know, this like, is the embassy club, yeah? Yeah, the embassy club. So, um, I mean, I know Paul would have been there with his friends, but it was a different department, so I didn't really know them that well. So Sharon came along. And um, we went. And while we were there that night, you know, the drinks were flowing. The entertainment was fantastic. Bernard Manning was hilarious. And I noticed this lad across from me. And he was he looked at me and I looked at him. And, and quite a few drinks had gone by by then. And I kind of like, I mean, I wouldn't normally do this, but ushered him over. I said, come yeah. over. And we started talking. And that was the start of it, really. So you sort of... Um took charge I know yeah I mean I wasn't you must have just known it's strange because I'm not that type of person normally you know I was more out for having fun with my friends yeah. so when Brian came along so we met that night he was with me he started chatting away to my other friend and um the end of the night we exchanged a kiss and then after that didn't really think anything of it um I thought oh what a lovely lad I mean I wasn't inclined to go around kissing everyone that I seen but um there's just something about him. And anyway, we lived locally in Hayward. So we kind of were always going in different pubs. And we had, we'd always like chat and things like that. And he asked me one time when I was out, did I want to go out? So I met, so I went out with him on a night out. But I only used to go out with him on a Thursday because my social life was Friday, Saturday, Sunday yes. with the girls. So I was having none of that. So nine months on, I kind of spent a decided well look you know I think Brian wanted to spend a bit more time with me and we kind of like started seeing each other a bit more like at the weekends and it just went from there really mm -hmm. and I'm still with my beautiful husband today okay 30 odd years on and your son Ryan how old were you when you had him I was 23 really? I was 23 and I never forget I was um, I got pregnant and the form of treatment I had obviously the chemotherapy they say you're being fertile and I've obviously not been here to, to have a child um, but um, I became pregnant and I had my beautiful son Ryan he was very healthy I had no problems with the pregnancy now a lot of people when they go to see the midwives they will go to local doctors I at the time I had to go to the Fairfield, the, the hospital for mine. They probably were checking, obviously, on the growth of the growth yeah. of Ryan, probably because of the treatment I'd had. So I kind of got that why they did that. But I knew personally I was fine, I was healthy, you know. So um, anyway, I had Ryan. He was nine pound four born. And Ryan will be how old now, Samantha? He's twenty-seven. And um, what does he do? He actually is, is a trainee asbestos surveyor. So. He's just doing his exams now. So he'll just go into a room um, and just see if there is and any... fill it with asbestos. No. Because <laughs> when, when, when he was doing it, I was a bit concerned. Thinking, oh, my God, dangerous material. But, you know, they, he's not pulling it all out. He's just seeing whether there is any there. And, like, and they do. I know, I'm and, they do <laughs> and they'll draw up um, yeah. drawings for it. So he's, yeah, so he's, he's happy. Yeah. He'll go in, look at a place, assess if there's asbestos, what kind of asbestos it is. Yeah. Is it health risk? Yes. Does it need removing? And if so, then they have a, usually a, another company or possibly the That's same company. Right. They'll come yeah. in and they'll sheet it out and that's put all right. the protective Wear the white suits. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so so that's what Ryan, but he's happy with doing that, yeah? 
Your brother, an update on your brother. He lives in Canada, yes. does he? Which part? He lives in Burlington, just outside Toronto. He lives and he loves it. Our Paul, um, when did he go? He went over there, I'd say hmm, 2000, two, 2001, I think it was, when my brother um, went over there. He'd been with a lovely lady called June who um, I'd known through Sharon. It's funny, I have an auntie June and Do she you? lives in Canada. Do you? <laughs> yes. Small world, I isn't know, it? I know. But this girl, June, he'd met, oh, well, I'll explain a little. He'd met over here. June, but they've been together a number of years and, and the relationship broke down. I mean, even when Ryan was younger, you know, he was always saying, you know, I'll babysit. And he was, he was you know, he's selfless, really. It was amazing. But I knew he, he wanted to travel and he wanted to travel for some time. And he said, like, I remember speaking to him one occasion when I took Ryan round to his house and he said, Sam, I think I feel the need. I need to go now and do this traveling because if I don't do it now, I never will. And he'd done a lot of research on moving over to Canada. So he yeah. decided to get a visa, went over there and worked for six months. And he met a girl called June, second June. He decided them six months was going to be a lifetime decision. And um, they got married and they had a wonderful, beautiful daughter, Danielle, who's my niece, who she's 18 now and she's amazing. Unfortunately, um, June, they've been married for so many years and they broke up, but they're still good, really good friends. Um, yeah. But he's so happy now in Canada. He's met a lovely lady called Tracy and she's the most, she's just like Paul, very soft-scented, always thinking of everyone else. and do, yeah. She's an amazing woman for him. So I know he's, he's content and he's happy there. Have you been over to see him? To be honest, um, the journey going over to Canada is one that I need to do. I'm yeah. a frightened flyer, very scared right. flyer, would you believe? I, I've not been yet either. Yeah. I, I want to. It looks... Yeah. Just the the countryside, the nature looks beautiful. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It looks stunning. So, yeah, that's something I will be doing. Okay, Samantha. So, we're going to get a bit more current now. I'm okay. going to bring you into the present and the last few years. Yeah. Now... You trained in complementary therapies. I did. So for anybody that's listening at home, what are complementary therapies and what complementary therapies did you train in? Well, complementary therapies are a, a therapy treatment that you can have alongside orthodox medicine. Okay. So um, you could be having, someone could be um, having some sort of orthodox treatment for a particular condition. But they can also have a treatment such as reflexology. Yeah. And they could have that as well as having the current orthodox medicine that they're having. So the difference between holistic treatments yes. and therapies and complementary And alternative medicines, yes. yes. What's, what's the difference between those? Or are they the same? Alternative treatments is a treatment that you'll have standalone so herbal medicine is an alternative form of treatment so you would have that instead of an orthodox treatment or Got another you. treatment complementary holistic form of treatment is something that you can have alongside orthodox so they kind of support each other right as treatment so you can have an orthodox treatment as well as having a reflexology aromatherapy um swedish massage so they kind of complement each other gotcha and holistic 
medicine or treatments or an approach is where they look at treating the, the whole body. The whole body. Yeah. yeah. Looking at, you know, your your energy, your diet, um, right. could be acupuncture, reflectology, yeah. all of these That's things. Right. Where they don't isolate and say they've got a problem in the liver. What they're actually gonna say is, okay, well they've got a problem in the liver mm. and this could be for any number of these reasons. So mm. let's get them healthy altogether. Yeah. And with um complementary therapies or alternative medicines like herbal medicine, you you're not just treating the where the issue is. You're going to look at treating the whole of the body because manifestation, the reason why that disease is manifested is not say with me with the leukemia in the bone marrow, but things have happened prior to that within the body. Yeah. To make the body to stop working. Because the body when it's healthy works perfectly in sync with each other. Yeah. with all the systems of the body. But stress, as we've talked about, um, is a major factor for causing illness. And other things like dietary, environmental, lots of things can cause illness. Yeah. So with the alternative medicines, we're looking at treating the whole person because there's not just one element that's caused that disease. So not only are you qualified in complementary therapies but yeah. you now have a training academy so tell us what it's called it's called white opal beauty and holistic training academy in haywood okay and what treatments does this cover what treatments do you train other complementary therapists to do currently what we specialize in is reflexology yep aromatherapy swedish massage hot stone therapy various facials also looking at we're also introducing reiki but we've got a lot of other courses that we're going to specialize in say pregnancy massage we're going to focus on that and there's also other extensions of therapies that we want to bring into the academy and so there's going to be lots of workshops as well so you not only you you administer and give these treatments and therapies but you train people in them yes so you're a Trainer, teacher. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. The academy is just for the training, but obviously I've dug been to college and university um, to, to get that knowledge and experience behind me so I can support students in their journey and learning lots of new therapies. So they might be, and we have lots of students that have come in that just want a different career path. So yeah. they've contacted us and saying well we want to do reflexology and from there they've gone on to do other sorts of holistic treatments as well and it's nice to see them progressing from when they first come in and they might not know anything about the complementary therapies and they're going out there on the journey they've been guided they've been supported and they've gone on that journey and now they're very happy therapists out there that love the jobs so tell us the name of it once more, Samantha, the Training Academy. Oh, right. It's White Opal Beauty and Holistic Training Academy. And it's based in? In Haywood. Haywood. So when this video goes live on YouTube, yeah. in the text underneath, I'm going to put some links. Yeah. And we'll put the Facebook page, which is called? Samantha Wilson. That's my personal page. Okay. And then the Facebook business page, which is called? Which is White Opal Beauty and Holistic Training Academy. And that the actual website for that is www.therapytrainingcentre.com. 
Okay, so we'll put those links underneath and then yeah. anybody who wants to get in touch with you and they want to find out more about your training centre and yeah. the complementary therapies you do, they yeah. can just go straight in. Yeah, of Ooh. course. Yeah. Okay, Samantha, finally. I know. I want to talk to you about your book. Right. So, what's it called? It's called Reluctant Rebels, the book. Reluctant Rebels. Rebels, yes. Okay, What's it about? It's about my journey um, through the diagnosis of the leukaemia that I had and the journey with using alternative medicine, herbal medicine, home education. And then it goes on to, you know, my relationship with Brian. And then there were some um, real difficult times in the book, a very uh, a terrible experience that my mum went through um, that really right. rocked the family. Are the reluctant rebels your mum and dad? Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah, makes complete sense. Yes. Yes. Because yes. reluctantly, they, they weren't the ones that wanted to. You know, they were passionate about education. Yeah. They just want to bring the children up yeah. in a safe environment yeah. and ended up going against the system, yeah. which was never the plan. The tragedy, do you know, in all of this is with the um with my mum and dad and uh, and against the authorities all the time they, they you know they they were constantly up against the fear the worry you know for for what eight years really you're talking about and when i was 18 they broke up oh i know well they've been through a lot yeah. and i always say it's much better to have two single happy parents than two yeah. A lot of parents used to say, oh, we stayed together because of the kids. Yeah. And they're at each other's throats. It's it's not a nice environment. Yeah. A child would rather spend some time with its mother and some time with its father when they're happy. Yeah. If they're not, if, you know, they've been through a lot and maybe that part of the journey was over. That's, yeah. you know, yeah. if you see it like that. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Are they both still alive now? My mum passed away um, three years ago, but oh. my dad... Um, is still alive and well, um, and um, I still have a, a, a you know good relationship, of course, with my dad. Yeah. But I always had, I mean, with my mum, you know, I was exceptionally close to my mum. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, whatever happens going forward, you just always remember that they fought for you. Didn't yeah. They? you every know? breath, every yeah. breath. Yeah, yeah. The parents would have given up, you know, long before yours didn't. They got this strength from somewhere, you know. Uh, uh, um, uh, my life, I owe my life to them. What a beautiful tribute, the title of your book and the fact that your book's about your journey. But yeah. obviously your journey was crafted by them. Yeah, you know, they, absolutely. They were responsible for they were. keeping you in, in this realm for a bit yeah, longer. absolutely. Yeah. And by having them, sh you know, Saved my life with the with Mister Mister Abbott. Um, I've gone on to be able to um, learn myself about alternative treatments because my passion is alternative medicine and education as well. So maybe if I hadn't have experienced what I'd gone through, I wouldn't have been now so you know passionate about alternative medicines, about education and. Things happen sometimes. I I'm, I'm truly believe that for a reason. I was meant to still be here today and I was meant to share this story with other people. You were meant to write your book and you were meant to do this show. Yeah, and thank you for 
given me the time uh, and the compassion and understanding to allow me to share my story with you. Well, Samantha, you, you're very welcome. This, I have been gripped from start to finish with your story. Oh, thank you. It's been like a couple of points I'm, when you've paused, I'm like, what happened next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like cliffhangers. Uh, yeah. But fascinating story. And what now might seem not nearly as incredible in those periods, uh, if you go back 30, 40 years yeah. ago, 45 yeah. years ago, yeah. um, they were very, very different times back then. Yeah, of course they were. You know, Of course they were. And so what now might be maybe fairly standard, maybe you'd expect the parents to do some of the things that they do now. Back then, you were a, a reluctant rebel. If you did those things in that time, you were outcast. Absolutely. You know, even threatened with jail and yeah. pursued by yeah. the intelligence and yeah. everything else. Yeah. yeah, it feels like... I mean, like a, a movie. In fact, yeah. it is a movie. It's a movie. It's my life story and my life journey. And I know every, you know, everyone's on a life journey. And I am just here just to share one journey. And to share with people that, you know, there's so much hope out there. Alternative medicine need to be more accepted in the orthodox world with medicine. Yeah. You know, there is cures out there for diseases yeah. Yeah. and I'm just living proof of one of them. Yeah. In the Western world, we're currently turning down the Amazon and the rainforest at an alarming rate and some of the plants, the diversity within that area is incredible. And they reckon for... For every disease, every ailment, there is a natural remedy, a natural cure. And they can't cover it up and destroy it quick enough. No, I know. And that's a tragedy and a real tragedy for everyone on this earth. You know, the more they're doing that, the more they're hiding, the more they're destroying. You know, they're destroying our medicine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Samantha, and I wasn't joking about it being a movie either. And I know a couple of people that write scripts for different dramas and things. A, a, a lady that's been on here recently, Jenny Barry, is also um, now delving into that world of script yeah. writing. But yeah. I think this has got a movie written all over it and uh, it'd be a beautiful story as well. Oh, yeah. If it can help one person, you know, that, that you know, that, that'd be a blessing to, to just even help one person mm. and to share them experiences with other people that maybe going through a, a, a similar situation with no hope yeah to let them know there's hope and there's Always. life yeah yeah you're the first walking miracle i've had on this show oh yeah. thank you you are a walking miracle it's wonderful yeah oh thank you yeah samantha thank you very much for coming on the show it's been my pleasure i'm delighted you agreed to do this show eventually because oh, it took a while i know it did because i was very nervous i think because emotionally um things even so long gone were quite raw still yeah and i think by doing the book it's helped me put closure to some of them experiences so now i feel like i can open up about certain things and I've always wanted to do, um, but sometimes I think when you've you've gone through some difficulties in your life, 
There's no magic wand to say when you're going to heal. Yeah. Through them experiences, and I, I, it, I but I was desperate to wanting to help other people, and that's the reason why I'm passionate about my holistic medicine and alternative medicine, and I was I was passionate to to share this story, and finally. I'm I'm here now and and sharing that, which has been a, a dream come true. You allowing me to come on your show. Oh well, thank you, thank you. If somebody wants to buy your book, we've not said where are they going to be able to get your book. It's actually going to be on Amazon, and it's not released yet, is it? It's imminent. No, it's very very imminent. So probably in the next three three weeks, probably I'd say. Okay. Um. So everything is near, near as damn it ready for the book. So it'll be in places, it'll be on like Amazon, um, Waterstone. So you can buy it as a Kindle. Yeah. You can buy it as um, the book version. Paperback. Paperback, yes. So there's lots of outlets that you will be able to yeah. buy the book. I think once it goes on Amazon as well, it naturally filters down into a lot of other outlets. So right. the likes of Goodreads and Booktopia and right. all these places. Right. So, but Amazon is going to be the primary point initially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Samantha, um, thank you very much. And thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, folks, thanks for watching. This has been the Midnight McBride Show with my special guest, Samantha Wilson. I'm going to leave you with a quote from my first book, From Pills to Peace. And it's simply this. In order to learn anything, we have to talk about everything. In order to make an informed decision, in order to make a good decision, we need all the information, all the facts. You can watch this video podcast every Monday and every Thursday on YouTube and you can subscribe to get notifications. Three days later, it comes out as an audio podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Amazon, Google and many others. You can go to the website, midnightmcbride.com. You can go to Salford City Radio, 94.4 FM and listen to my radio show, The Mind, Body and Spirit Show, every Monday night from 11 till Midnight, you can catch me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook. And you can buy the book on Amazon in paperback and Kindle format. And you can also get the audio book on ACX, iTunes and Audible.com. Have a great week and I'll see you next time. Shalom.